Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Married with Books. I'm Blake. And I'm Shelby. Today we will be discussing Illuminate by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. As always, there will be spoilers, so if you don't want to know about the plot twists and turns, turn off this podcast. But before we begin our discussion, let's talk about what we are currently reading. Well, you know, last Sunday you were doing that cool painting benefit for the, what was it? Read GR. So that was at one of our favorite bars, The Res, and I just posted up in the corner with The Shadow of the Wind by Spanish writer Carlos Ruiz Zafón, uh, translated by Lucia, Lucia Graves. Um, and it is this beautiful book. Um, it's part of a series called The Forgotten Library. And it's this book about this young boy when he's his dad's a bookseller and his dad takes him to this place in Spain called the Forgotten Library. And like it's a place where people bring books so that they're not forgotten. And he picks out this book and he reads it and he finds it. It's amazing. But then he discovers that someone has been going around and destroying the rest of the copies of that book and any other book written by the author. And it's this story that follows this young boy through his life, and it has a lot of twists and turns, and it's really phenomenal. Yeah, I read that book a few years ago, and I also thought it was wonderful, but have not yet continued with the series, so maybe we'll have to do that. Yeah, I, I got it because Shelby got it for me for Valentine's Day, along with the second book in, I think, I don't know if it's a direct series or if it's just kind of all set in the same world, but um, what, what, did you, what have you been up to, Shelby? What are you reading? Right now, I am reading The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara. Um, it's mostly a biography of Millicent Patrick, who is a woman who played a large part in the creation of the movie monster, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, but whose contri- contributions were largely swept under the rug because she was a woman. Um, but then Mallory O'Meara has also made it part of her own personal memoir, because um, she is a woman working in the same industry about six decades later. So talking about her experiences, what's changed, what hasn't changed, and so far it's really good. Yeah, I I know you're doing the audiobook right now, but we bought a physical copy, and I'm hoping to get to it in April. Um, you know, we're doing that big readathon, so I'm thinking I'm going to use that for something. Yeah, definitely worth a read. All right, so now we are to the main point of our podcast, the discussion on Illuminate. Um, I So this was my pick this month. I picked it because I wanted a really good sci-fi book, and we read this last fall and both really loved it, and we tore through the series. Um, so we decided to just do the first book on this podcast because the whole trilogy is almost like... They're all like 600 plus page books, so even just doing this one book is uh, an endeavor, so maybe we'll do the whole series eventually, but it's definitely going to have to be one book at a time because there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, so and um, I guess the best way to describe the Illuminae files um, and book one Illuminae is it is a dramatic space opera told through uh, case files, reports, and interviews uh, involving the two main characters, um, which we'll get into in a sec. Um, like Shelby said, Illuminae is a monster of a book. It clocks in at around 602 pages, the first one. Um, so when we were kind of thinking about how to discuss this, I wanted to break it down into sections. So we're going to look at it in three parts. So the story, uh, revolves around two characters, Katie Grant and Ezra Mason. Uh, they broke up and then their planet becomes under attack. Uh, their planet's called Carenza. 
and it's attacked by this company called Vitek. Luckily, they both escape on three, like one of the three ships, although they don't end up on the same ship. Um, Ezra is on in the Alexander, which is like a military vessel, and Katie ends up on the Hypatia, which is more of a scientific vessel. Uh, the three ships, the third ship being the Copernicus, those three ships try to escape to the nearest jump gate, so that way they could go and get help. Um, while they're on the ships, they the ships really aren't designed for as many people as they're holding, but because the planet was under attack, they were just taking people in. So they start drafting anyone who can work to like help on the ship. Ezra joins the military force on the Ale Alexander and becomes a pilot. Um, but if you're not part of like the military, they're kind of keeping everyone in the dark. And Katie, who is this great hacker, starts hacking into the system to learn what's going on, you know. Yeah, I think an important part of this, too, is that they're trying to make it to the jump station, but it's going to take them, like, six months to get there, and meanwhile, there's a Bitech ship that is after them, so there, it's, like, a very time-pressured through this whole thing, so not only are they, like, short on supplies and personnel, but they also, like, have a very large military vessel chasing them, who they are not really prepared to defend, and so it's, like, urgent that they get to the jump station ASAP. Yeah. Um, so, Shelby... That's kind of the first section of the book. What did you think of this opening action-packed start? I mean, when it opens, you're essentially reading the files of um, Katie and Ezra about what happened. You know, they're talking about just bombs falling from the sky and troops landing on the planet. What would you think? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. This first section for me was kind of slow. Um, I wasn't uninterested in it, but I was like, this is just fine. You know, like... It's a lot of setup of, like, learning about the characters and their relationship, and even though it is pretty action-packed when they're describing how they were, their planet was attacked and rushing to get off, you know, and dodging, like, they, shrapnel falling from the sky and trying to figure out where their family and friends are, it, it wasn't so much, like, I wasn't, like, driven to continue to read it at this point. How did you feel about it? See, this is, this is the stuff I love. You know, when it's describing... They're racing around in a jeep, avoiding missile fire to get to the jump ships, and, um, I mean, I like action, you know, I like action movies, it's, it's probably one of the biggest problems in our relationship is that I love action movies and you find them so boring. I don't know that I would say I find them boring, and I didn't necessarily find this boring either, but until, like, I didn't quite have so much the desire, I like, I need to know what happens next, you know, like, I was interested in it, I kept reading it. But this whole beginning section lasts, like, 150, 200 pages. And up until then, like, at the beginning part is super action-packed, you know? But then there's a lot of time where they're just on the ship, and Ezra's learning stuff, and Katie's kind of learning the ropes, you know? That was, like, kind of slow parts for me. That is a good point, because I when I what I was thinking of was the first, like, opening 50 pages where stuff is happening. But right. then it does turn there into... There is a lull for a little while well but th there needs to be because i think if there wasn't you wouldn't feel the impact of things that happen later on but what during that setup i wasn't and i was still enjoying it you know like i wasn't i wasn't bored per se but just like later in the book when i was like i literally couldn't put it down i did not have that feeling for the first couple hundred pages yeah um and it after the action pack sequences i mean really you just kind of get to know katie and ezra right which um which were your thoughts on those, they're kind of the main characters. You see 
perspectives from a couple other people, but those are the main two. What'd you think of them? Yeah, I liked them. Um, I think Ezra for me was a little bit more likable. Um, Katie was obviously, everyone there was going through some really tough things, but she just seemed kind of a little bit more like whiny about it and stuff like that. So I don't know. I liked Ezra more, but I didn't dislike either of them at this point. Yeah, I thought, um, I really liked Ezra. I thought Katie was a little reckless, you know, with the hacking and stuff. Yeah. She was very, like, lashing out at authority. Um, Typical teenager. Yeah. So, now let's kind of jump into the next part where things start getting crazy. So, Ezra's doing this training exercise when Aiden, the, Alexander has this AI that is supposed to, like, run the ship's defenses and handle all the combat maneuvers and stuff. Artificial intelligence, for those of you not in the know. Yes. So they are... Aiden orders Ezra and his other the other trainees to fly out, and the Copernicus, the third ship, has a bunch of small vessels leaving it. And essentially, he Aiden tells Ezra to shoot all the other ships, and they can't get in charge of an action... Like, they can't get in touch with an actual human... And they destroy all these small ships, and then Aiden destroys the Copernicus. They don't destroy the small ships. They don't? Oh. Right. They bring them into the Oh, Alexander. yes, because that is how, what you find. And then they actually get in trouble for that, because they, like, disobeyed an order, and the Alexander Command is trying to, uh, like, cover it up. So, remember, like, the lieutenant and Major, maybe, they both get executed, because they didn't destroy the small ships. And they brought them onto the Alexander. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Well, the reason that they don't want those small ships on and Aiden blew up the Copernicus is because when Carazon? Carenza. Carenza was attacked, they used a bioweapon that infected a bunch of people who ended up on the Copernicus. And the people who escaped carried this infection that essentially turned people into, like, rage monsters. Yeah, sort of like, not zombies, but they reminded me of zombies, except, like, scarier because... I think of zombies as being, like, these mindless things, you know, they're just after flesh, you know, or whatever. These people could, like, reason and think and figure out a way to get to the live people or, like, the people that were okay. And that was super scary. That was, like, some, there were some really intense scenes there. Very similar to, like, your 28 days later, 28 weeks later. Like, there's still the human intelligence, but, like, all they want to do is just be violent. Um, They, so... Ezra's dealing with that on the Alexander. Katie on the Hyperion uh, with a fellow Hypatia. hacker, Hypatia. Sorry, I was thinking of something else. Um, they start hacking into the fleet's communication and start catching wind that something isn't right. Like, the army is telling them that the Copernicus just kind of malfunctioned and blew mm-hmm. up. Like, no one's really saying anything. Um, during this point, Katie and Ezra start rekindling their romance because, you know, they're out trapped in space and they just need to need someone because they know a lot of people they knew are dead well and the aiden went against like the human personnel orders nobody on the alexander ordered the copernicus to be blown up that was the artificial intelligence making that choice for themselves so when katie starts to realize this she is trying to find someone on the inside who will give her more information about what's going on there and that kind of leads to conversations that leads to more conversations Yes. So let's let's talk about their rekindling real quick. So essentially it kind of starts out as Katie's going to kind of pump Ezra for information and then it turns into a, a rekindling of the romance they had. 
And do you think part of it is... I do wonder if, like... I don't think they get back together if the planet's not attacked. I don't... I mean, it's hard to, like, play that game because that's such, like, a life-changing thing that, like, maybe they would have. But I don't remember exactly why they broke up, but I'm sure, whatever the reason was, after your planet's attacked and, like, when... I We forgot to mention that Katie's mom was on the Copernicus. So she died when it was blown up, and Katie's dad is at the jump station, and she doesn't know if he's okay because they can't get in touch with anybody there. So, like, they're both going through really intense things. Ezra confesses to Katie that he and his dad were on Carenza because his mom is, like, a psychopath, and they were hiding from her. So I think that once your planet gets attacked and you can't, like, you lose a bunch of people that you love, and you're, it just kind of changes your perspective on things. And I'm sure that played into it, you know, when you're just trying to seek out any familiar soul to you know connect with but I don't know I don't necessarily want to play the game like would they have done it otherwise because I just think that's such a huge change that it's hard to like track back through all the all the decisions that were made and figure that out but I was definitely happy when they got back together yeah so they start getting back together and then essentially Aiden decides to protect the fleet he knows that the virus is spreading, so he releases the people from the Copernicus from quarantine and essentially routes them through the ship to start killing everyone. Well, and he does that because they did shut Aiden down after he went rogue. And so then they were worried that... Like, he, Aiden was worried that they were going to shut him down again, so he killed all the people who, like, had the power to shut him down, basically, because he knew that if they did that, the Bitech ship was going to catch them. Yes, so... Because Aiden's in control of so much of their, like, weapons and things like that. So Aiden is essentially... He's just trying to get anyone he can out alive. Like, his main goal is just to save people. But he's willing to make decisions that normal people wouldn't make. Well, I don't know that I would say that he's just trying to get people out alive. Aiden is not... He doesn't have emotions. So he is just trying to... He's trying to run numbers, you know, like, I will sacrifice this number of people to save a larger number of people. And so that's, like, he intentionally does things that kill people and insists that it's for the greater good because more people would survive because he killed those people. But those aren't decisions that, like, an actual human would ever be able to make. Yes. Um. So this is where the book kind of takes a horror-style turn. Yeah. Where Ezra's hiding and running around the Alexander, um... And what do you think about this change? I mean, there's a very dark scene involving a child, if I remember correctly, like, gutting a person. Uh, I don't remember what you're talking about, but I, this, like, I mean, horror is my genre, you know? So, like, as soon as there's that big twist when you're like, oh my gosh, the AI went rogue! Like, that was, like, the coolest thing that could have possibly happened. I was like, I could, that's, this is the point where I was like, I can't put this book down. Like, I seriously, I was, it had taken me, like, a couple of days to get to the 200-page mark. And then Aiden killed a whole bunch of people, and I read the entire rest of the book that day. And I really liked these, even though it was, I hesitate to recommend this book, because even though I think it is a really great, like, sci-fi drama, there are some really dark, violent, gory parts in this. But for me, I love it. Like, I, that's what drove the plot for me. Like, I, I needed to find out what happened, because... There's so there were so many like crazy things happening that you didn't have time to like stop and breathe even you know I just needed to find out what happened next. Yes, what very true. I really like them. Um, it 
in my head, like, I could picture the dark corridors yeah, lit with, like, the emergency red lights, and you just hear, like, people running and panting to, like, Or you're, like, trying to be quiet, you know, and, like, peeking around. I don't know. Anyways, there was, like, a lot of intense scenes, and I just... But I was here for it. I love that kind of stuff. So Katie learns about what's going on in the Alexander and decides she's going to steal a ship and to go get to Ezra. Um, when she's there, they have these things kind of like Palm Pilots. They call them data pads where she's sending messages to Ezra and they're, they're going to meet up and she's going to rescue him. But what she goes to the server room and discovers that Aiden was pretending to be Ezra and that Ezra died days earlier. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard to describe in, like, a quick summary because we can't go over all the little things that happened in their relationship, but I think that the authors did a great job of this because, you know, you just, you're, uh, Ezra goes out on, like, a flight, and then you're all worried for him, and then he comes back, and you're like, oh, great, but there are actually changes that make you think that it's not, like, that if you ha if you were being suspicious of that, there's definitely a noticeable change that it's not actually Ezra. But I totally fell for that. I did not think that Ezra was dead at this point. Once you reread those sections and knowing that, it's kind of like when, you know, we're also big movie fans, we've been talking about Get Out lately. Yeah. Like, when you uh, when you get that big twist and you start, like, rewatching, And then you can and, go back and yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, it told, everything clicks. And that's how I felt with this. I I thought that was another great twist. Very well done. Obviously, I was, I was sad. And at first I was like, there's no way that that's true. But... Yeah, I don't know. Then you can go back and you can really, like, see the signs. So Katie is devastated, but Aiden tells her there's about a thousand uninfected people that are still left on the Alexander. Um, Aiden has developed this fascination with Katie, and he tells her that, and I, I use the word he, but Aiden really isn't a he. Is I always a, pictured it as a he. I think it has, like, a male voice. It when Technically, I, obviously, it's genderless. It's a computer, you know, it doesn't even have a body, but... They, they bring that up a lot, um... But I, when I think of Aiden, I think of 2001 of Space Odyssey, yeah. like that deep robotic voice. But uh, Aiden essentially tells Katie that if she stays on the uh, ship and helps him, like, use the weapons to take down the biotech ship that's following them, he will help her get the thousand people out into the Hypatia. Um, so Katie locks herself in the ship's weapons control center, and she has to manually fire the weapons at the following biotech shape um ship during this section you also have these cuts to these sequences of people escaping the alexander that are just crazy you know it's like these engineers who all they have are these wrenches and they're like running through hallways and trying to avoid people who are like reaching out and trying to like stab them yeah there's like a lot of jumping around in perspective and i think it's also important to note that while katie is like locking herself in the ship's weapon room trying to save you know all the people who are trying to get off there's also these crazy infected people that are still after her and like trying to get to her and stuff like that it's very intense there's a lot of like high driven emotion and um katie's like trying to focus but then she like knows that she's on a time limit not only because the biotech ship is coming but also because there's these crazy people who are trying to kill her and it's there's some very intense moments in here. and in the end katie she is able to destroy the following biotech ship, um, but at great cost to the Alexander, and she is essentially going to, um, she escapes in a small shuttle, but she's already, like, in a radiation zone. Yeah, she's gotten, like, radiation poisoning, because 
Well, because she, the Alexander, like, exploded. So she didn't have any, like, the protection from the elements or whatever. Um, even before that, there was, like, severe damage to the Alexander. So she and, is very sick, but... And before she even, you know, won this big battle, she had essentially compiled all these files of what had happened. So that way, if the Hypatia reached the jump gate, they could signal for help and tell people what had happened on Corinthia, mm-hmm. which is a big part of the series. Um, she So in, while she's in the shuttle, she gets rescued by the Hypatia, and then they essentially... She also keeps a small piece of Aiden. It's not as powerful as the big one in the Alexander, but she has a copy of him on her data pad. Um, in the end, so essentially the premise of the book is that the Biotech Corporation has paid to have this file composed, so that way they can know how much information there is about their about their attack. And so they've hired. Is it called the Illuminae Group? Yes. Yes. So this whole time you think like it's like this third party Illuminae Group that is right that has collected all these files through like um, conversations, you know, because it's all electronic in between the ships and stuff like that. So it's the Illuminae Group that's compiled all these files. Well, in the end, you discover that Katie is the Illuminate group, and she prepared these files um, to show the director of Biotech, which you find out is Ezra's mother, who essentially waged war on this planet because her husband, ex-husband, I I don't even know if they're still married, and her son, like, ran to it, and she just wanted revenge, and she... She wants to know what happened to her son, and Katie won't tell her. And essentially, it ends with Katie saying, like, I'm coming after you, and I'm going to get you. Yeah. And a it, very epic ending. It's great. And, I mean, it sets up the second book, which I... So, I want to prepare people. The second book is not a direct continuation of uh, Katie's story. Oh, and I guess the other spoiler is that um, Ezra's alive. It was just a ploy. Oh, yeah, we forgot to say that. Yeah. Um, Aiden used, Aiden said that Ezra was dead because he knew that if there was a chance, if Katie thought that there was a chance that she would get back to him, she wouldn't sacrifice herself. And so, yeah, so it turned out she gets back onto the Hypatia and, um, she goes through treatment for her radiation. Um, she is saved. She lives. This is kind of maybe a little bit unbelievable, but like, I, I dig it. That's kind of a, a theme in this whole series is that there's things that are, probably wouldn't actually happen but i'm not super mad about it because it always ends up like how i want it to be and ezra is actually alive and he just couldn't get in touch with her before then yeah so book two is not a continuation of katie and ezra's story it actually takes place at the jump gate that they're heading for um and it it does include them you see them show up but it it's a crazy book i mean the whole series the whole series is insane if you like the first one you'll like the rest of the books i know that probably this intense drama isn't for everyone but like i live for this i i could read this all the time i love it yeah i mean as you you know we've spent about 20 minutes talking about it it is a thick book and there's a lot i mean there's subplots that we just didn't even cover because they're not you can't 100 percent relevant and like i don't have an we don't want to do an hour breakdown of this book yeah but but you should read it if you are if you listen to this whole thing and you haven't read it, go read it. Another recommendation um, is the audiobook I hear is done with the cast. Yeah, I have not listened to the audiobook. I am very curious about how that would be because I almost feel like you'd have to, like, listen to the audiobook 
and read along with a physical book. That's how I've heard is the ideal way to read it because there's some really unique like formatting things in this book too. You know, it's files, but then there's times when Aiden is speaking where like the words go in like a giant spiral all over the page or there'll be like an image of like the fighter jets shooting off and the words like follow them. You know, it's very unique and I feel like if you did the audiobook, you might miss out on some of those things. That is true. There's a lot of um, unique things done with the book. I really would recommend the physical book because they're there's like pictures and stuff that I don't know if they really come across in the audio. Like at one point, Aiden, who you think is Azra at the time, draws a picture of Katie using the word love. Is that what the word? Yeah. It's it's a it's a single word, um, and he like does like different shadings and stuff to him. And but I don't know how you could ever describe that in the audiobook. But I haven't listened to the audiobook. I I did read the physical book, but I'd be curious to know. So Shelby, out of five, what'd you give this one? Five. Easy, easy, five, five, yeah. five, five, five. The, it was a five for me as well. Um, so that brings us to our final segment, our special topic, um, which we're going to discuss something we had talked about maybe doing as a bonus episode. We just didn't really, it's not long enough to really do a full episode on or even like more than five minutes on. But we still wanted to talk about it. We went and saw Five Feet Apart after, you know, last month we did it. And what did you think, Shelby? I really liked it. I think, um, you know, the book I thought was fine. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it either. It was just a fine book. The movie, I felt, worked much better. And I'm assuming that part of this is because the movie did come first in this instance. You know, it was like a, it was a, the book was an adaptation from the screenplay. So I think it's hard to, like, go back and add in all those, like, really emotional moments without, if they're not there initially, trying to adapt a script into into like a prose novel um so the movie I liked quite a bit and it was it was very emotional it made me cry a lot um it was pretty similar overall to the book plot wise the only major difference that I noticed was in the book there's that final sequence where Will and Stella meet again at the airport it's very vague they just like kind of see each other and it's like hinted that they're maybe going to talk or something. I don't know. It doesn't even, like, say what happens there. That did not happen in in the movie. He, Will, leaves her, and um, that's it. Yeah, I wonder if that, the author who did the adaptation was like, I would really like to kind of put a cap on this yeah. thing. Um, Cole Sprouse and Haley Lou Richardson and even Moises Arias, Moises Ari, um, I'm, I'm sorry if I pronounced his name wrong, they were all phenomenal in it. They were um, amazing. One thing I was really impressed by was they really played someone, like, when they didn't have their uh, nebulas in. It's a cannula. Cannula. But, like, their, their, their breathing apparatus. Yeah, when they didn't have their breathing apparatus in, they all really made efforts to look like they were having trouble breathing, like a real person, you know. They, it was just fantastic. Even, like, just the physical transformation that their bodies must have undergone for this role. You know, like, they looked sick. It's weird to, like, say that as a compliment, but they really, like, played that sick person well. And I thought I thought it was great. I know, you know, we had discussed when we talked about the book that some people had thought the book kind of romanticized cystic fibrosis. And this made, it did not make cystic fibrosis look no. fun at all. Not at all. Um, I... I think I gave it a 7 out of 10. What did you give it, Beer? Yeah, I do my movie ratings out of 5. I think I gave it a, a 4 out of 5. 
but I really liked it. I liked the movie much better than I liked the book. Yeah, it, you know, it's actually really funny. One day we were driving home from somewhere, and we had a whole nother discussion on Five Feet Apart that we were like, oh, man, this would have been great for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, if you have a chance to see Five Feet Apart, it is worth seeing. Yeah, it was great. Great job. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Next month, it was, for May, it was my choice. So I chose The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. Um, so you can join us on May 1 for our discussion of The Poet X. Yeah, you know, we're trying to find books that kind of cover different different genres. Um, I'm really excited to do a poetry book. I mean, it's all kind of slam poetry. Yeah, it's all like slam poetry. I listened to the audiobook. Um, I've already read it. I listened to the audiobook, and I'm really glad that I did because you can really hear the the author reads it, and you can really hear how she, like, intended that to be read, but I think you're going to read the physical book, right? Yep. So it'll be interesting to, like, compare and contrast between the two. Yeah. And as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or any of our other episodes. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Married with Pod, Married with Books Pod, or you can email us with at MarriedWithBooksPod at gmail.com. You know, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. All right. Until next month. Bye. Yep. Bye.